Thank you, Raina, for serving us and ministering to us with that song. Well, good morning. Let's try that one again. Good morning. morning. Merry Christmas. It's nice to have you here this morning. My name is Pastor Jerry. I'm the executive pastor, and uh, Pastor Steph is probably uh, flying out towards the North Pole right now. He may see Santa Claus as he passes, or he may not. But I understand that his flight to Europe, which is the, f- the first leg of his trip, goes pretty much right over the North Pole. This morning, as we are here at Christmas time, you know, it's, it's the question that you sometimes ask is maybe sometimes the question I ask is, am I ready for Christmas? How many times have you been asked that already? Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> and usually when we say ready, we talk about, did you buy all the presents? Did you get all the food? Um, have you made arrangements for family to come in, or do you, have you made arrangements to go somewhere? But sometimes when I ask that question of myself, am I ready, I'm thinking about what's also in my heart. Because it's so easy to get to the Christmas season and not feel anything about it. It's easy to come to it and think, well, what's all the hype about Well, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, that's a very important part, which is a little bit of what we want to address this morning as we think about what is that big deal about Christmas. And this morning, I want to begin by reading a passage of Scripture with you. Uh, It's a typical Christmas Scripture, but it's not the Christmas story comes from John chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open it with me as we read together. We're going to just read the first 14 verses. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. 
The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that speaks into our hearts. And Father, as we look at your word this morning, we pray, speak to my heart. Father, during this season that we worship Jesus, we want to know you. We want to connect with you. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the great things about this passage of Scripture, it talks about how Jesus came and speaks about how he's come to this earth and some of his purpose and who he is. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and he was with God in the beginning, which tells us a little bit about who Jesus is. In fact, there's another passage of Scripture that comes from the book of Hebrews chapter 1 that makes reference to who Jesus is. And this is what it says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. And that's talking about how God spoke to us. He revealed himself through the prophets. Many of those prophets wrote it down in scriptures, and we have that for us, and that's how God communicated. And at many, he did it at many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he speaks to us or is spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Now, interesting here. When it talks about how God spoke through the prophets, the prophets were his messengers. <coughs> Excuse me. And in those days, God would say, tell this to the people. And prophets would say, thus says the Lord. These are not my words, these are God's words. And it was very important that they would say exactly what God had instructed them to say. That's how God spoke during the times of the Old Testament, through prophets. But it uses this word, but. And the word but is one of those contrasting conjunctions, which means but now it's going to change. Where God spoke through prophets in the Old Testament, now it's different. And it says here that God speaks by his Son. Now it just doesn't mean that Jesus is the new messenger. First God spoke through the, the messengers of the prophets, and now he speaks through the messenger of Jesus. No, he is also the message. He's not just bringing God's word. He is the message. When we look at the baby in the, ma in the manger, we're not just looking at one 
who comes and shows us who God is, we're taking a look at someone who displays it because of who he is. As in John chapter 1, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and who is he? He is God. So if Jesus is the messenger and Jesus is the message, it leads to that question, so what is that message? What is it that Jesus is really saying? What is it that he's really displaying? Who is he? And we're going to find that out here in John chapter 1 by three uh, very interesting descriptions of who Jesus is. The first one is this, that term, the Word. starts out there in John chapter 1. And the Word became flesh. And it says here that the Word is God, the Word was God. In verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory. And everything that we know about Jesus is shared with us by those who saw him. And they called him the Word. Now, interesting. About 500 years earlier, there was a fellow named Heraclitus. There's a bust of him right there. Handsome-looking fellow. He, uh, he was born in the city of Ephesus. Around, uh, and he lived between 540 and 470 B.C. You know, a good 500 years before Jesus came. He was one of those philosophers. And he was around during other notable people. People like Confucius and like Buddha. He was around that same time. Now, during this time period, (coughs) excuse me, during this time period was the time of the great Greco-Persian wars and Ephesus was right in the middle of it in fact if you looked at a map you'd have the Greek empires to one side you have the Persian empires to the other and sort of on the border you've got Asia Minor and Ephesus and some great battles took place there the battle of Marathon was one of those big ones and those of you who are the historians know something about those times This was the time when Sparta was at its peak. Rome was just becoming a power. And the Jews were just allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild. For those of you who know your Bible history, this is the time of King Darius. This is the time when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. And King Darius was wondering... Daniel, has your God saved you? This is the time of Ezra and Nehemiah who went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls. This is the time shortly right after that was King Xerxes, his son. And this is the time of Queen Esther when she came to the king and pleaded for the life of her people. This is the time when Heraclitus was around. 
And he started thinking about what he saw in the universe. And this is what he said. And he, he, and he decided that the universe is always changing. And he became known for this phrase, you can't step into the same river twice. Because if you go back, it's different. And he said all of life and all of the universe is the same. It's always changing. He also said that, the, that everything is interrelated. That means everything is connected, and uh, even opposites are connected, kind of like the yin and the yang, and that both good and bad are somehow connected, both cold and heat, fire and water, earth and air. Everything is interconnected. And he said that everything is held together by an underlying principle or an order, And he called this law of nature the logos. In fact, he coined that word the logos. If we translate that word logos into English, we would say it's the word, the message. Some might say it's called the power or if we used it in today's terms, it's called the force. There we go, one of the first Jedi's. But he translated it this way, and he coined this term. The Logos is that which holds everything and sustains everything within the universe. And it's this word, 500 years later, that the Apostle John plucks out. And he says, you know this Logos? You know this power that you all know about? This thing that holds the universe together? I want to tell you who the Logos really is. And he goes on to explain that this is Jesus because he uses that term, in the beginning was the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God and he was God in the beginning. And he says, and the Logos became flesh. You see, Jesus is not just a power. He's not just an influence. And the force While we know Jesus has power, we don't just believe in the force because the force can be manipulated. It can be used. It has good sides and it has bad sides, the dark side and the light side. But the difference is that Jesus is a real entity, a real person. God become flesh. And as a man... What's amazing is that when we look at Jesus, we see God. Elton Trueblood has this phrase that that he writes, the historic Christian doctrine of the divinity of Christ, which means his deity or that he is God, does not simply mean that Jesus is like God. It's far more radical than that. It means that God is like Jesus. And so when we take a look at Jesus, we see the fullness of God. Right after the passage that we had read this morning, it says, and from this fullness, his grace, we have received one blessing after another. That Jesus is the fullness of God. And so if you want to understand who God is, then you need to get to know Jesus. 
And while we can get to know God by looking at nature, and we can get to know God by looking in the scriptures, and we can get to know God by listening to other people, but by getting to know Jesus is how we really get to know, Christ, get to know God in his depth. And so that message that we take a look at with Jesus being not only the messenger but also the message, when we look at him, we see God. In fact, he is God. And that's what makes that baby in the manger so amazing. All babies are amazing. We had four babies when we were young and they grew up in our house and now they've got babies. And those babies are even more amazing. Of course, why not? They came from great stock. <laughs> and while all babies are amazing, the interesting thing about Jesus is that something is said about him that can't be said about any other baby is that he came to earth. Our babies were born here. They were conceived here. They were born here. They were created here. All that they, have, all that they are was made here. But when we talk of Jesus, that he came from the Father. He came from somewhere else to be here. Which is why John says that he was there in the beginning. He was already there. The term that we use for that is that he was pre-existent. He was alive. He was working before he ever came to earth. He was involved with creation. He was involved, he was there in the Garden of Eden. He was with Noah and with Abraham and Jacob. He was there with David and Daniel and Esther. And he was there all along the way. And that's something that can't be said to any of our lovely children. Although sometimes we've threatened to make them history, they're not part of history. So Jesus, the Logos, shows us who God is. The second thing that John mentions is he talks about the light. And he talks about how Jesus is the light, that, that life that lights every single person. And that light cannot be overpowered. Interesting, some of your Bibles will say that the light, um, that when he came, that the world comprehended him not. That in verse 5 it says, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Some of your Bibles will say it has not overpowered or extinguished it. Interesting, that the light cannot be overpowered by the darkness and this light comes upon every one of us and whether you're a believer in Jesus or whether you're not that light has come upon you the very fact that you have life the fact that you have breath in your lungs the fact that you have a soul that you have emotions the light is in your life you've been touched by the light of God he's giving you given you something that is alive 
But he offers something deeper than that. On a deeper level, he offers what he said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. If you believe in me from you, there will be a wellspring of living water. A different kind of life. We call eternal life. Now this wellspring is like an artesian well. Do we have any geologists here? None? Great. Now I can sound like a, I know what I'm talking about. You know, Renee's dad was a farmer in Alberta. And on a piece of land that had a lot of artesian wells, a lot of groundwater that would come up. And he would bring in a backhoe and dig this big hole. And within a very short time, that hole would fill up with water. But not only did it fill up with water, it started overflowing. And pretty soon the water was running out from every direction. And I would look at that and I think, my goodness. I mean, the ground kept the water in. Now you dig a hole. Not only does it fill up the hole, but it goes everywhere. It's a wellspring of water that overflows. And where there was no water before, just because you dig a hole, now it's everywhere. That's the picture that Jesus is talking about. The life that lights every human being also offers us eternal life. And as Jesus describes it, a wellspring of life. Something that begins inside of us and overflows and affects every part of our life. It's an artesian well. It's a fountain of life. And this is what Christ offers us, the kind of life. And when we talk about eternal life, we're usually talking more about the quality of that rather than the duration. Now, sometimes we think of eternal life, well, that means life that will never end, and that's true. But the true emphasis is life that just well springs up and fills every corner of our life. That's what Jesus offers. That's what he came to give, that kind of life. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel very much like that, does it? Sometimes the challenges of life kind of, it seems like that fountain, it's not that much of a wellspring. It's just kind of trickling right now. Sometimes we have to dig a little deeper for that water. And those are the times that in faith we come looking to Christ and we say, I need the wellspring at work in me. But what he says here is not just that life, that, that light that fills us and overflows, but he says this, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness is never stronger than the light. How dark do you have to make it so that a candle cannot be seen? In fact, the darker you make it, the brighter that candle is. And this is part of the message of Christ, is that we cannot overcome evil with more evil. 
but we can only overcome evil with good. Now in Romans chapter 12, he uses this, and he says, do not repay evil for evil. Why? Because evil and darkness cannot overcome darkness. You cannot make a room lighter by adding more darkness, if that was possible. But he says, overcome evil with good. That's the way you fight darkness, is by bringing light in. And there are times that in our world it feels like the darkness is winning, doesn't it? Those of you who've been around a little longer than me, it's easy to think back and say, wow, the world is getting worse. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. It's hard for the rest of us to measure it. But it's easy to think that the light is not winning. The darkness is winning. But scriptures tell us that darkness can never win. The darkness is not more powerful than the light. And the only way to fight it, the only way to fight the darkness is with light. The only way to fight evil is with good. And Jesus displayed this in his life. And you might be thinking, wow, Jesus was sure a good teacher. And he sure could have done a lot more good if he hadn't tragically died when he was in his early 30s. You know, if he would have just been able to be around longer, he could have done more good. The darkness won over him. And even though he tried to do good, it didn't work. It's easy to think of it that way, but that's not the truth. In fact, it was the very fact that Jesus as an act of goodness, gave himself for your sin and for my sin, that he was able to defeat darkness. That he was able to defeat sin. That he was able to break its power. He could break not only the power of sin, but he could also break the power of death. That's what he was able to do. But he could only do it with good. Now it's true that when you're in a battle in an army, in the military, you often fight wrong with greater wrongs. You fight power with greater powers. And those can win battles. But when we're talking about the human heart, the only way to win the human heart is by fighting evil with good. Which is why the scriptures teach us, for those of us who are believers, if you want to get along with those in your pew, if you want to get along with those in your church, if you want to get along with those in your family, you respond to the evil that they do with good. Because that's what defeats evil. And many times, I'm tempted not to do that. I'm tempted to fight people's wrongs with a little bit of judgment, a little bit of self-righteousness, a little bit of power. But the reason why that it's not God's way to do it is because evil can never overcome evil. It can only be done with good. And when we look at that baby in the manger, we see him coming, taking on the form of us humans, so that he could fight evil by doing good. 
And the third comment that it makes here about Jesus is he talks about him as the creator in verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, he's the creator, the world did not recognize him. You ever had this thought or this prayer? Lord, why don't you show yourself a little more obviously? Make it so that everybody must believe. Why don't you give such irrefutable proof of your existence that there's no question? I've thought about that lots of times, especially when I'm talking with people and trying to convince them of the reality of God and the love of God. Oftentimes, there's that, well, I just cannot believe in God. Well, here's the interesting thing, is that our Creator, the Creator makes it very possible for you not to believe. He allows that. He provides for that. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, he says this, in talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be, and some of your Bibles will say something to be grasped or to be used to his advantage or to overwhelm us with. The very fact that he is God, he does not use that position to impose himself upon any of us, to force himself. He presents himself. He invites us. And as creator, he invites you to be his child. And it's true, if you're a human being, you're already his child in a certain way. He is your father. You owe your life to him. It's because of him that you have breath in your lungs. But he invites you to be a child on a much deeper level that comes through faith. When it says here that the world did not rescue him, in verse 11 of John chapter 1, he says, He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right or the power. He gave that legal connection that we become children of God. And though the world does not receive him, the world does not recognize him, God invites you personally to receive him to believe in him, to embrace him, to say that you are my creator, you are my savior, you are the light of the world, you are the Logos, you are the one. And when we look at that baby in the manger, he's not only the messenger, but he is that message, that one who reaches out to us. That's the message that we celebrate at Christmas. In fact, we celebrate Christmas in many different ways, but we worship Jesus. We celebrate Christmas and we worship Jesus because of who he is.
the Word, the Logos, the Creator, our Savior. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we bow before you, we think of those words in Scripture, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth come through Jesus Christ. Thank you for your grace, for your forgiveness, for how you love us. Father, stir in our hearts that we might embrace you more and more. Thank you for this time of Christmas and of worshiping Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.